welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Let's confess together the power of God's word to change our hearts and our minds. Let's stand and sing, please. Our text for this morning's message is Ephesians 3. We're going to read verses 14 through 21 if you'd like to follow along. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power of work within us, to him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Well, we've come to the end of this great first half letter to the Ephesians. And he's uh, brought us up to these uh, spiritual heights, the mountain top uh, peaks of uh, spiritual truth. And, and he has shown us how that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And now that we're here on these uh, mountain tops of truth, Paul, we find on his knees, and he's praying for us that we might be strengthened in our inner person, 
so that we might have spiritual strength not only to understand what God has done for us in Christ, but that we by faith might take hold of these truths and fully experience the presence of Christ in our hearts. Well, Paul's uh, first prayer in this letter that we looked at uh, several weeks ago in uh, chapter 1 was that we might have insight into what he called or, or this uh, eyes or insight. He said, eyes of our hearts being enlightened. Look, you have your uh, Bibles to chapter 1 there, verse 17. And part of that prayer uh, his, that he records there, he says that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, might give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you might know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. What a what incredible uh, request. But you'll notice there, he's uh, focusing on what we might know or understand. And yet, it's not enough just to know about what uh, Christ has done for us. As important as that is, it's not enough. We, we must be able to apply those truths to our living. It must change how we live the Christian life. And so we see here at the end of chapter 3, Paul's prayer, which he focuses on our enablement. Uh, notice how he says it in uh, verse 16. He says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And so this morning we're going to uh, look at this uh, statement, this prayer that he prays for them and by extension for all of us that are believers, that um, we might be strengthened in our inner man or inner person. And we're going to look at what he means by that, what it means for us. But first, let us look at the context of uh, where we're at here in verse 16. If you go back uh, to verse 14, you'll notice there that he starts uh, out in this uh, statement the way he started in uh, verse 1 of chapter 3. He goes back to that statement and uh, he says, for this reason, he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And what Paul is referring to when he says, for this reason, uh, takes us back to chapter 2. If you remember uh, this first section of, of chapter 3, so from verse 2 all the way down through verse 13, is a bit of a, a digression from his intent to, to uh, voice his prayer for these believers based on what he had just written in chapter 2. And so really verse 14 takes us back there again uh, to what he had said before. And you'll remember... Uh, there in chapter 2, his words about God's great work of salvation, our salvation. Remember uh, verses 4 and 5, he says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And then again in verse 8, he repeats, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And we looked at that passage and, and studied that. And, and we know, those of us who've put our faith and trust in Christ, that he's emphasizing this grace of God that has come to us. The grace of God that would send the Lord Jesus Christ to come to earth, to be one of us, to, to die in our place for us so that we could be forgiven, have our sins forgiven. And the grace of God that's come to us in the, the conviction of God, through the Spirit of God, to, to open our eyes, to awaken us to our own need, our own spiritual uh, depravity, lack of any hope. And as he described for us there in chapter 2, the condition of all of us, and he later talks especially to the Gentiles, and, and he describes uh, there for, for them how that they were far from God, and they were strangers in, to, to the promises and covenants of God. But he, he reminds them that they've been brought near through Christ. And, and that really describes all of us, regardless of our exact uh, situation before we were saved. Some may have been more uh, moral people, better uh, citizens, um, people that uh, you could look at and say that's a that's a, he's a good person, you know he's a good neighbor or he's a good friend, and yet uh, in God's perspective we're all sinners, we're all without hope uh, in the world, and the Lord says that we've been brought near through Christ, and He. He makes the, the point, you remember in this, the last part of uh, chapter 2, that the Jews and Gentiles have been reconciled to God, and because of that, they're, they're able to be reconciled to one another and made one in the body of Christ. And so as he comes to the end of, of chapter 2, the last, uh, remember the last metaphor that he gives there for the church is that we are like the, the temple uh, of Christ, and he compares, or the temple of God, and he, he, he compares, or says that Christ is like the, the cornerstone of this uh, building, this temple. Uh, and notice in verse 21 and 22, he says, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And then Paul, in verse 14 now, he comes back to this truth and says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And he records for us here in these verses this prayer uh, for the church. And as I said, by extension, for all of us. And, and what, a, what a prayer it is. As I studied this prayer and the other prayers, the prison prayers in particular that Paul recorded uh, for us, uh, it's caused me to examine my own prayers and think about you know the, the pattern of my own praying. Where is my focus? And by the way, uh, as we said there, in chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, was the first, first of these prayers. And then here in this section, in chapter 3, at the end of chapter 3, the other two is in Philippians. Chapter 1, uh, verse 9 through 11, 
and Colossians 1, 9 through 12. So uh, make a note, note of those and go back and, and read those because they're very instructive to us. Uh, they, they teach us something about how to pray. teaches a lot about how to pray and how we should be praying for ourselves and for others. And as I, as I examine these, I realize that, that my prayers in general are, are too focused on, spiritual, uh, on uh, physical things. Uh, when I compare to Paul's prayers, mine are also too general. We don't get specific enough many times, for, especially in praying for others. And it's interesting to note as you, com- as you look at these prayers of Paul, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't ever pray for physical blessing. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for physical blessings. I think that is right and good and to intercede for others with uh, health needs and uh, jobs and uh, all the all the things that we need, we, we have needs and they're real. And so the scripture doesn't minimize uh, those things. But as we read Paul's prayers, it does instruct us about our priority. Uh, Paul was in prison and these believers were also facing opposition to uh, Christian faith. And that was only going to get more difficult for them. But Paul he did not pray for these physical needs, but his focus was all on their spiritual. And at the end of the letter, uh, in this Ephesians chapter 6, he asked for prayer for himself. And uh, he, in many times in his letters, he gets a little more personal and uh, talking about uh, various things. And it would have been a good time for him to, to ask prayer for some physical things. There's no doubt he, he would have had some physical needs, things that he would would like, like pray that I'll be released. (laughs) That would have been a a good one. Uh, uh, Pray for my health. Uh, But he doesn't ask prayer for those things. He he may very well have been praying for those things, but he doesn't ask them to pray in that way. What does he say? He says, pray that words may be given me in the opening of my mouth, uh, to be boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And so Paul's, we don't find anyone really more bold than him, and yet he's praying for boldness. And, and we realize by that, he, he realizes his own weakness. Even as we look at him, we think, wow, Paul's a strong person. He you know, never was afraid and never was uh, shy about speaking for the Lord. And yet Paul is praying for spiritual strength, for boldness to speak for the the Lord and to have words to say for the Lord. And so as we look back at verse 14, he says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. And so Paul is getting getting ready to, to record for us what he prays about. But notice he he says there he bows his knees, and some have given, I think, too much emphasis to the posture uh, aspect of how we should pray, posture of the body. Uh, I think what the statement that Paul gives here is not so much the importance is not so much on the posture of the body as on the the posture of the heart that um, he demonstrates for us. 
I read about a group of Christians who were debating about uh, this matter of the, the proper posture for prayer. Some people, you know, just really concerned about that. And uh, so, you know, one was saying, well, the only way to pray is on your knees. That's the proper way. Well, another said, well, you should be standing with your head bowed. And a third believer said, well, he felt like the best way was to be seated, but looking up to God. Well, one man who had been silent up to this point, he spoke up and he said, a few years ago, I accidentally fell headfirst into a well. And he says, while I was stuck there upside down, I prayed the most effective prayer I've ever prayed. <laughs> well, so there you go. Upside down's the best. <laughs> but what it does do is it illustrates for us the reality that the externals are not the most important thing. It's the heart attitude that the Lord is really concerned about. And so if you know, certain posture helps you, then by all means, that's a good posture. If, if getting on your knees helps you to be humble, it helps you to be have a, a submissive attitude before the Lord, then that's a good posture. And Paul demonstrates for us uh, this um, submissive attitude towards the Lord. But notice just earlier, as we looked at last time in verse 12, he says that we have bold access to God and that we're able to come with confidence to God. He is our our heavenly Father. And so there's this uh, familial type uh, relationship to God. He, he is our Father. And I think what this teaches us and, and reinforces is that although we have this bold and confident access to God, it doesn't mean that we should come irreverent to, before God or, or even in an arrogant kind of manner like we're going to tell God what He should do. You know, you know, even our children, we, we teach to, to speak uh, to fathers with respect. And how much more should we come before our heavenly father with a respectful attitude and manner, showing reverence to him? You remember Jesus' words to his disciples when they ask about prayer. He says, pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so you see both there. You see the uh, showing them that they can come to God as a father. And that was, uh, that was unique. Uh, God, the Old Testament, wasn't thought of in a personal way as father. He was the father of the nation, but uh, people did not address God as father in prayer, at least not recorded. And so the Lord teaches them there is, there is a, God's approachable. But he says next, hallowed be your name. Uh, the, the word hallowed from hagios, that's the word that speaks of holy or to be sanctified, to be set apart as holy, to make holy. And so he's praying, let your name be kept holy. And we should never lose sight of that. Uh, we can many times grow accustomed to the great uh, blessing and grace that's been given to us, the approachability we have to come to God at any time, and, and, and yet uh, He is a holy God. Paul continues in verse 15 regarding his statement that He is our Heavenly Father. 
And he says, from whom every family in heaven and on the earth is named, or, or from whom the, the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And uh, that verse has um, brought about some different opinions. Uh, it, it can be understood that he means that God is father of all in the sense that uh, men and angels all come from God. He is the, he is the creator of all, the, the progenitor of, of all beings. And so in that sense, he is the, uh, the father of all. The word, uh, word family, uh, patri, patria, uh, it can mean the family in a close unit like we normally think of, of family, the household. But it can also mean a large group, like like a, a lineage of people, like a nation. And so it's it's uh, it could include all uh, beings in that sense. And some have um, used this verse as support for their false teaching that uh, that God is the the Father of all, and the, all men are sons of God in the sense that all will ultimately ultimately be saved. We know the scripture does not teach that. In fact, it's very clear that all men will not be saved. And the scriptures divide mankind up into two groups. Uh, The one group that uh, has God as their father and the other group that has Satan as their father. Uh, For example, in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 10, which reads, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. And so many other places you see this clear teaching and distinction. And so as I've studied this and considering the context of what Paul has been uh, focusing on, it seems more likely that what Paul is saying here as he talks about every family or the whole family is that he's thinking about the redeemed of God, whether they're already died and in heaven, or whether they're still on the earth. Both Jews and Gentiles are all um, children of God. He's the father of them all, of us all. And that's been the focus of this oneness of the family, both Jews and Gentiles. And so that's more likely what... Uh, he's focusing on. Well, as we, we come now to verse 16, we really get to the heart of his prayer for them and, and for us that believe. He says, it is for the strengthening of the inner person. <clears throat> I grew up with the, the King James um, translation, and so I'm used to saying the inner man. And uh, anthropos is the word there, which is man, but it's man in the sense as opposed to animals or other uh, beings. It's mankind. And so it might be, might be a better word for you to think of person, or as you see here in the ESV, the translation being, that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's the inner person or the inner man, as you will see in some translations. Well, what is this inner man? What's he talking about? Well, for Christians, the inner man is the new man in Christ Jesus. Uh, It is the spiritual part of us where God dwells and works. 
As we saw in chapter 2, the unsaved are spiritually dead. They, they do not have this life. They're, they're dead in trespasses and sins, he says. But God has given us life and He's raised us up in Christ to be together with Him. And this new creation is this inner person that he's referring to. As, as Peter puts it, the hidden person of the heart. Uh, Peter writes in, in 1 Peter 3 and verse 4, and, and there he admonishes women. He says, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Also, from the Old Testament, we see this, this, uh, this emphasis. Proverbs 4 and verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. And, and as most of you will know, biblically speaking, the heart is, is not just talking about our emotions. It's the, the center of our being. It's the heart. And uh, he says, keep it with all vigilance. You see, because salvation for us is just the beginning of God's work in us. Uh, the inner self must be strengthened. It must grow. Uh, this is the process that uh, is referred to as sanctification or eilach mocking, the spiritual growth. In salvation, God does all the work, and we, we simply respond to Him in faith. And so we we talk about God's work in salvation. But in sanctification, we work together with God. Uh, our work would be of no value if He didn't work. But we don't, we don't just sit back, though, and expect Him to do it for us. I've run across Christians who have that idea that um, uh, you just kind of, you know, okay, God, uh, fix me. Um, you know, take care of my problems and, and do everything for me. No, God is, has taught us that we are to cooperate with Him, that uh, we are to go to work uh, and expect God to enable us and to help us. Uh, that's what Paul told Timothy in these words in chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. He said, train yourself for godliness. He says, for while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so this exercising, training for godliness, just like our, our physical body, the physical muscles need to be exercised uh, so they can become stronger and healthy. Uh, spiritually speaking, our spiritual muscles also have to be trained. They have to be exercised and used to grow, and that's the, the growth of the, of the inner man, the strengthening of the inner man. And Paul writes also in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, you remember that passage where he, he talks about the, the outer self. He says the outer self or the physical body is wasting away. He says, but our inner self is being renewed day by day. And as you get older, you, you realize that this outer self is just... It's getting weaker, and you can exercise, and you can try to be healthy, and uh, that helps, but you, the exercise doesn't accomplish what it used to. <laughs> it just doesn't seem to be as effective. Um, I have this exercise um, device thing. 
um, kind of like you know with bands you pull and stuff. And and in the instructions, it, it has a breakdown of what you can expect from you know the program it has. You know, it says, you know, from this age bracket, you know, you can expect 200% improvement in your, you know, performance and in your muscle strength and all that. And it gets to the, you know, 50 and 60 and it's like, well, you know, it's like 60, 50%, you know, it just really starts dropping down the, what the, the, the improvement that you can expect. Well, that's a reality for the physical. But notice what he says is just the opposite for the spiritual man, the inner person. He says it is renewed day by day. It should become be getting stronger. The older we get in our Christian faith, we should be growing, not just being stagnant or just kind of hanging on to what we have. No, we should be increasing and growing in our spiritual strength, life for the Lord. So it is imperative that we make use of God's provisions for our spiritual growth. And uh, one of the places to begin is in dependence upon the Spirit of God. Notice how he says it uh, in this verse that as he prays for them, he say, may that the Lord may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit. So the Spirit of God who dwells within us uh, strengthens us. And that was Paul's prayer that they would be strengthened through the Spirit. There, there can be no growth apart from the Spirit of God. And prayer is a way in which we demonstrate our dependence upon Him. It acknowledges to God that, Lord, I need You. I can't do this on my own. I can't handle this trouble, this trial, this temptation. I need, I need You. And so in prayer, we commune with God and we... We depend upon Him and depend upon the Spirit of God. And as we think about the Spirit of God strengthening us, how does He go about doing that? Well, God can do anything He wants to do, and He could strengthen us any way He wanted to, but we should expect Him to work in the way in which we see revealed to us in the, the Scriptures, in particular the Scriptures' letters to the churches, how, how, how He has instructed us. And as we study the Scriptures, we see the Word of God is God's means for strengthening us. Uh, in parallel sections from later in this letter, in Ephesians chapter 5, you remember in verse 17 where he, where he talks about being filled with the Spirit. In Colossians 3, verse 16, you have almost identical words in about three verses there. But he begins there by saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And it's often been noted that, that as Paul writes, these two um, realities must be in our life, the Spirit of God and the Word of God. If we are going to have the spiritual, we must have the Word of God. It must be uh, in our hearts and in our minds because the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to strengthen us. Uh, and so the Word of God is vital to our growth. Peter would write and use the analogy of a, of, a, of a newborn, a baby. He says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. He's not praying that you could grow up to be saved. 
but that you could grow in your salvation, the salvation that you already have, that you could grow up in it or into it. And so the, the Word of God is vital. And like as you're here this morning, hearing the Word of God and studying the Word of God and reading the Word of God and allowing God to just minister to your inner person, we are strengthened in that way. It's not just in knowing things. I mean, it starts there. But it is um, the Spirit, in a very personal way, uses the truth to give us strength, spiritual strength, spiritual ability uh, to live for Him. Well, a third very important way is the worship of God. We've already mentioned prayer, but it's, it's both in our private worship of God, but also in the collective worship where we come together as this morning and we sing together and we we interact together in the Word of God, and God uses all of these ways to strengthen us in our inner person through the Spirit. And this is Paul's prayer for these believers, and he's very bold in his prayer for them. If you've noticed, if you've noticed in, in the reading of this section, he asks that God would strengthen them according to the riches of God's glory. Now, Paul couldn't have asked for any greater resource than that. Uh, God's glory is the sum of all of his attributes. It's revealed to us. And even the ones that have maybe not been revealed to us, God's glory is a manifestation of who he is. And he says, according to the riches of God's glory, that we're to be strengthened. And, and so... In a sense, Paul is Paul is, is praying, you could even say with hyperbole, it's beyond possibility. He wants us to be strengthened in the inner man. And so earlier in the in the letter, again, you remember in chapter one, verse nineteen, Paul had prayed that these believers might know, verse nineteen, he says, they might know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. And now he prays that we might be strengthened with power or ability through the Spirit. And that word power, uh, the, the dunamai, is, um, is, is the idea of ability. It's not just power like dynamite, which is the word taken from to blow up things, but, but a power to do things. He's, he's talking about ability, enablement. And we need this enablement from God to live the Christian life. We need this power from God. And that is where Paul's going in this letter, by the way. And if you, if you know Ephesians, you realize that from chapter 4, he's, he's really, even at the end of this section here, he's already focusing on the doing, the living of the Christian life. And so that, that's where he's going. And so the, the, the practical living requires the enablement from God, the strengthening from God in the inner man. This is God's, God's plan for us, His children, that we would be strengthened in the inner person. And, and the reality is our natural um, response to trouble and difficulty is to say, Lord, remove it. Lord, get me out of this. Lord, I, I don't want this. We naturally want Christian growth to be easy, or at least easier. But Paul doesn't pray like that. 
He doesn't pray that, Lord, make life easier for the, the uh, Ephesians and the people living in that region that were, were struggling, many, no doubt. Uh, and we know that there's persecution. And we remember Paul being persecuted for his preaching when he was there earlier. But he doesn't pray like that. He prays for their spiritual enablement to live for God. You, you remember the Lord's prayers when he's discussing our needs, our physical needs in Matthew chapter 6. He doesn't say you don't have these needs. He, he doesn't say it's wrong to seek them. But he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so the inner man, the inner person, the heart must be strengthened. And if we need to think of an illustration, I, I thought about you know, the thing, this pandemic that we're in, and, and the natural body and this virus, this COVID-19 as an example. We, we had some times where we're even now to some degree trying to isolate from the virus. And that can be helpful, but it's not an answer, is it? We, we, can't, we can't isolate ourselves from this virus. I mean, it's, it's not going anywhere. It's going to be around. We need our bodies to be strengthened. Uh, we need to have a, a resistance to the virus to be able to fight against it. And some people have that already in their bodies, a, a stronger, we would say, a constitution sometimes. So they, their bodies already have some resistance. They don't get as sick as others do if they get it and so forth. Uh, and so that is, the, that is what we really need. And uh, Sharon and I went uh, this past week and got our first injections uh, for this uh, immunization, uh, the English call a jab. And I, I told uh, someone that as we were sitting there in the little cubicle and the nurse was there, I'm glad she didn't jab us, uh, that she was uh, very careful with that needle. And uh, so it uh, was hardly any pain at all. So it wasn't too bad. But uh, the purpose of, the, of these injections is that you might be immunized, immunization against this virus, have immunity, I think is what I was trying to say. But anyway, you get the point. And the intent is that uh, it would help the body develop a resistance. Well, in a similar way, our spiritual self, our inner self, our inner person needs to grow stronger so that we'll be able to stand firm in the faith, to, to resist temptation, so that we are not wavering in our faith when, when difficulties and trials come. You remember, as, uh, as, as Dan preached in James 1, uh, where he says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's the ultimate end of where we're, we're headed. One day we'll be with the Lord and we'll be perfect and complete. But until then, God is taking us along this path of growth, spiritual growth and strengthening of the inner man so that we're able to stand. As he will say later, stand firm in the faith. That's what we need. 
this process of, of spiritual growth, this power, this enablement, which comes from God, which is uh, at work in us to accomplish God's purposes in us so that we can stand in the truth for Him, so that we can have a testimony of Him in the world. Let me close with um, a reminder of the Lord's Prayer, the Lord Jesus' Prayer for His disciples and for us in John 17. You remember that intercessory prayer that Christ has recorded there? He prayed that, He says, Lord, I'm not asking that You take them out of the world. He talked about how the world would hate them because they hated Him. And uh, we're living in a time where we're beginning to see more opposition to the gospel than we've, we've seen before. And it's, it's likely to, be, to get worse. And for those of us who stand on the truth of God's Word, we're, we're going to face opposition from the world. And, but he says, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world. In other words, to isolate them from trouble, from opposition, from even persecution. Verse 17, he says, but sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify. Set them apart as holy. And that is God's work in us to strengthen us in the inner person. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you might do this work, Lord, in us. We come before you this morning acknowledging our need, Father, and our own weakness. Many times our, our focus is too much on the physical. Lord, you know, you know our needs. We, you know we have certain physical needs. And, and, and oftentimes it's only natural, Lord, that we would try to um, avoid trouble. And, and I think it's, it is right that we pray uh, for each other, for healing, for relief for jobs, for all of these things, Lord. You know we have need of them. But Lord, help us to put a priority on our spiritual being. Help us to put a, a priority on our inner person, Lord, so that we are spiritually strong and able to stand firm for You in truth. And that the Word of God might, uh, might anchor us, Lord, so that we're not moved about by various things that come along, whether there be trials or temptations or whether they be false teachings or whatever it might be, Lord, may we be able to stand firm in you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.